Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. Well, welcome to another episode of EdTech Examined. How's it going today, Chris? It's going well. We made it to number 50. Yeah, like Freedom Freedom 50. That's like Freedom 55. 55. And we're retired. <laughs> <laughs> 50 is where it ends no, i'm just joking we hit 50 episodes we were told early on that podcasts only last on average to 12 or 13 yeah. and we showed those people yeah. not that we were trying to compete um though it's interesting that we've hit the 50th episode and we have so little to talk about <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, I'm sure we'll we'll come up with enough, uh, but yeah, it has been a little bit delayed. Uh, I I don't know where the time goes. It's already October. Uh, you know, we were just messaging last week, thinking, oh, we we should probably get an episode out. But yeah, occasionally you and I have. So the way, it, so for Inside Baseball, if anyone's interested in the world of podcasting, Chris and I used to, um, you know, we would we would have a template in Google Docs that we called the rundown and we would copy that once a month because this isn't like monthly, but you know, we do a mid month when we can. Um, and then we would include all the links to the articles and stuff like that. But the, the problem is, is that uh, it's a lot of work to constantly create that. So we're always trying to think of ways to reduce friction. So now for articles, if you send me something, or if, if I find something, I just put it in, in Pinboard, which is our, which is the bookmarking app that I use. And I just tag it with podcast topic. And there's a link that Chris and I can see all the thing, all the articles. And we just hope that the other person has looked at it uh, before we start. And then we just run with it. I mean, it's a lot easier. In some ways, it's better because we're not, we're not working with a second document. We just have to open the links, right? Yeah, for sure. We're trying to streamline, um, become more efficient. Well, and it, you know, I, I just, I would take notes and I would put them in and then I would never read them in the Google doc. And I was like, this is, a, this is like, this is kind of a waste of time. Um, we also, this way we can, uh, when we pick tips and tech stuff, rather than put it in the document, um, Sometimes we just come out with things and the other person has no idea, which kind of makes it more interesting. We can surprise the other person with tech tips or uh, ironic musings and observations because they're not all documented. We don't have to follow a script. It sounds like yeah. it sounds improvised, which is the whole goal. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, no, I'm uh, I'm pleasantly sur you know surprised that we made it and. Uh, it's a nice, I mean, at, at the end of it, it's actually recently somebody asked me if there's anything that uh, I need to promote. And uh, I was even, I was kind of racking my brain and thinking, you know, I mean, the only thing would be, I guess, maybe the podcast. And even that, I mean, it's not like we're doing it for publicity's sake. Or it's money. Just, <laughs> well, who knows? Maybe, maybe one day. Maybe, uh, maybe but, one day. Uh, really, uh, if we look back and reflect on it, uh, the whole reason was, with uh, the pandemic and, you know, just trying to help people out uh, cope with things. And, you know, uh, it's become a nice little side hobby for us and working on our uh, kind of audio editing and other uh, skills. Oh, we do. We do have a uh, Patreon now for our podcast. Um, so anybody giving us money? No. 
Uh, and I haven't promoted it. So this is the problem. So for folks, for folks who uh, do like to listen to this fine podcast, uh, we'll put it in our, it's on our website, but uh, you're always welcome to support us uh, at patreon.com slash edtech examined. So if you want to be the first patron um, and, you know, at this point, we're just trying to get the ball rolling. I just, I just finished updating that site. So, so it's like uh, workable, but um, yeah, please consider supporting this fine podcast. But with that, I suppose we should go into, did you have anything? Well, did you have anything else to say about our, our 50 years together? I'm just joking. 50 years. <laughs> No, I think uh, let's let's just keep going for the next fifty. Let's see how it goes. Yes, to a hundred is a good is a good goal. We did have a pretty good. Um, I thought the the book launch went well. What did you think? Yeah, I think so. You know, I haven't had a chance. I actually had some pictures taken and stuff. I haven't even had time to go and share it on social media. So maybe I'll, I'll do a throwback or or something. But um, yeah, I mean it. Uh, it was pretty. Uh, well attended, you know, a nice mix of uh, people from different disciplines. I, you know, I'm really happy with how UFC, you know, created as an open uh, resource for people. So, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to keep uh, the momentum going and uh, hopefully even just having that, uh, you know, the best of both worlds, uh, both online and in person. I mean, even right before we started, I was mentioning this, that, uh, uh, there are some things that I've carried over from uh, online delivery into the in-person, although I, I think sometimes uh, uh, some students, for whatever reason, they they decide to uh, maybe uh, overlook or or some of the um, accommodations that we're doing uh, that way. So, but ultimately, I'm hoping for a better experience that, uh, for learning-wise. Yeah, I agree. I'm trying to bring as much... Um into the into the classroom some of the tools uh do work really well face to face they're not they're not exclusive to online though they work well in online learning um so that's the case i'm also going to do another shameless plug if you uh like what chris and i have talked about you should go purchase a copy of the university of calgary's press's excellent book voices from the digital classroom i haven't counted the number of pages of our chapter but i suspect it's one of the longer ones at the very least. So uh, Chris and I talk about <laughs> this project, what we think of um, where higher education and distance learning is going in general. Yeah, for sure. So I suppose we can move on to uh, our tech tip, or sorry, our ed tech office hours, which we've, which encompasses now all our tech tips. So uh, I had very little prepared for today. Um, Part of the reason is, is that I haven't had a lot of time lately to explore new tools. Both of us have been super busy. It's really that late September, early October, where things really get down to crunch. So we, I'm sure we'll have come across uh, new tools and tips and stuff, uh, you know, as we get back and looking at the, the tech blogs and things like that. But I, I did want to bring up something that has come up um, in, in one of my classes uh, and some of the instruction that I've been doing. So I had a student ask me, because we were working with Google Docs, we were working with a variety of tools. I talked about the importance of uh, organization, digital organization, keeping your digital house in order, so to speak. And a student just said, I just said, you know, is there any final questions about anything? I, I leave it really open-ended. And a student said, if you were to say there's 
you know, uh, a skill that, and that is really valuable that I should master like a digital skill that I could use in, in the workforce, like that's organizational related, what would it be? But it was much more eloquently put than the way I said, but that was basically the question. And I thought about it for a second and I said, you know, you can learn all the tools, you can uh, find YouTube videos, you can find all these best practices with whatever you want to do. But the number one thing for keeping your own house in order and also that companies care about, particularly if you work in any big organization, is really sticking to a file naming convention. And I think the student was a little bit surprised because it's so old school, right? Um, it's such an old school way of thinking about uh, management. Why would we bother to organize our files? We have Google Drive, we can rely on search, stuff like that. Um, but, you know, when I look back through um, the files on my computer, and I look back through all the things I have, if I go to, you know, my Mac here, and I go to my documents, all my files are named more or less, there's some exceptions in a very similar way. And I don't think you have to use a particular um, standard, it can be a standard of your own design. So for instance, I always, I either start files with the date that they were created, or the title. And I, and I start them with title or date, depending on how they need to be organized. So for instance, my blog articles, I, I save them as text documents and archive them, when, even though they're published online, I always put them date first, because that's probably how I'm going to browse them in that folder. But other documents, I'm never going to organize them by date. That's not how I would look for them. So I save and digitize a lot of receipts and stuff like that for things that I may need to return. I need to back up warranties, whatever. So I organize those by title and the date comes, you know, kind of closer to the end of the file. Um, between all words, I use dashes and between all concepts. So it would be like title dashes between all the words in the title and then underscore uh, where I bought the item underscore date or something like that. Underscores kind of between different sections. And so that's, that's my own system. You don't have to follow uh, what I do, some people just use dashes for everything. It doesn't matter. Or some people use camel case. So they capitalize where they start and then they go lowercase for everything else or capitalize every word, the first letter of every word so they can they can read it. And of course, there's limitations on how, how many characters you can put in a file name, which yeah. is something to consider depending. I don't know. I think it's probably different depending on the platform. It's fairly, very simple. But all this being said, the reason I brought that up is that it's something um, that I'd strongly recommend some mastery over uh, that I think would be well served in in the workforce. And I I did some like light browsing online and came across um, a Medium article that somebody had written. So the benefits of efficient file naming protocol, right? And so it's useful for not only finding your own files where they are, you're organizing it in a way that makes sense to you. Um, other people can then read your files. That's really important. Really important if you're a student, uh, sending Google Docs to your instructor that are called untitled is not very helpful. So, you know, that, that can result mm -hmm. in not good grades. It's helpful for tracking revisions. So sometimes under documents, I'll put V1. And then if I've edited it, yeah. especially if it's Microsoft Word and I don't have like a, a, a revision system like Google Docs, then I can put version two or I'll save another copy that's version two. I do that with um, papers like studies that I'm working on for, you know, for publication, like academic work. Um, 
And so there's a few things to consider for file names. Uh, the Medium article that I that I just found to kind of back up my supposition here basically talks about um, an organization identification, if necessary, you know, an author, have a category, if that's helpful to you, have a subject, uh, draft or a version number, a status designation, such as it in progress, or is this the final copy or completed or something like that. And so you can do whatever works for you, but a file, I'll end here by just saying that a file naming system is probably good for you. And it'll probably be really helpful for your, for your employer. Um, I've always been organized that way. I like doing that stuff. So it's easy for me to say, right? It's in my nature. <laughs> you don't become a librarian. If you don't like things to be in order, that would be an error. Uh, but it has helped me because all my files, typically I like to think make sense to everybody else. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, Eric, it's a good point because we take it a little bit for granted. I don't know about for from your side, but I mean, I remember taking a course during high school where we were introduced to Windows 3.0. So, I mean, I'm probably dating you a little bit, but I, I remember Windows 3.0. Oh, there you go. So, and then, uh, you know, like I remember going through and learning how to go and create file names. And back then, the convention was that we would go and put underscores because they would not recognize the spaces in between. Uh, so that's what we were, uh, you know, told was the best practice. And so I've kind of stuck to that. Uh, although recently I've noticed, um, I mean, I still do that, but like when we're uploading files, I, I don't know if it's the easiest for people. So, I, you know, sometimes when I upload files for our learning management system. I've actually now uh, recently just started removing the uh, underscores and just putting the actual whatever it is. Um, you know, let's say if it's an assignment, uh, so just put the all the words together, and so it makes sense hopefully and for the students. But yeah, I mean, I I always typically my approach is I start with the date, and uh, I usually I don't know from your side what uh, you do with the date, but I, I usually do it with um, the the year two digits. Then I go into month and then I go into day and then I'll go underscore whatever it is. And, I do year, uh, month, day. I do four digits for the year. Yeah. So I just do two because, you know, the chances of us living, uh, you know, a thousand years <laughs> probably isn't going to be a big deal. Uh, so, uh, you know, but um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it is good and important, um, you know, as much as I, a lot of people, they rely on the search and I've, I've seen this, uh, maybe Google is maybe a little bit better given they, they are a search engine, but uh, sometimes finding things in Microsoft, uh, especially on Outlook, it's difficult. It's uh, sometimes you don't see if you can't find it. I've actually noticed it's interesting uh, searching on the desk, like on your computer using the web browser versus searching your phone. There's sometimes differences as well. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it's it's not one hundred percent, and so I, you know, again, I, I think it is important for people to figure out whatever that naming convention is and keep things organized, and especially if you are writing something that is, um, you know, um, let's say if it is, I don't know, maybe some major paper, probably a good idea to have see, you know, the different versions, and that's why. I, I don't even know if I would necessarily need like that version number because uh, I usually just create a new version based on the date and then I can go track back. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, 
I would say that people can keep this flexible too, right? Like I said, like you asked me if I do date first, sometimes if it's items in a folder that I would organize by date, the rule is just that everything has uh, dashes between the words or numbers. And then there's an underscore when I come to a new section of the naming, that's it. Um, I do start with dates. If it's useful for me to browse the files by date, but like, I don't use dates as the starting point for, let's say the outlines that I've done for my classes and all the documents, because I need to organize them by, is it psychology 2285? Is it psychology 2235? Is it HPED 2507? So they need to be alphabetized by the course title and that the date is in there. Um, and it comes, it comes later. I, again, I've probably violated my own system <laughs> at some point. Like I'm sure I could go through and find, like, sometimes I don't have a date at all um, yeah. because it's not something that I created. Like it's like a title of a recipe, right? Uh, so okay. I, I have haressa dash roast dash chicken dot PDF. That's good enough. I don't need to have uh, there is no author for this recipe. It's not my recipe. I photographed it out of a magazine. I don't even know what the date was. It doesn't really matter, right? It, yeah, if I have, sure. it's kind of, I kind of treat it like a citation. Like if you don't have a volume or issue or a page range, you don't include it in the citation. And it's kind of the same thing uh, for mine. Again, I'm not trying to cite stuff. I'm just trying to go back and find it. But anyways, whatever works for folks, that's relatively consistent is the right solution. And I only bring it up because, um, well, I don't get to talk about it that much. It's not really relevant to what I do in the classroom, but people probably see it because the documents I send out are all kind of named that way. So it doesn't surprise me now that I think of it, that I was asked that question. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I mean, it's uh, it, uh, like, I've seen this personally. Um, so for one of the courses I teach, we're in the computer lab and for whatever reason, I have to keep reminding students, they don't even save the file. And right. I've had this happen uh, so far in the last six, yeah, six years. Uh, so, you know, students are writing a test and two times this has happened where word crashed and they lost all the work that they were working on for their test. And, uh, yeah. you know, luckily I, I didn't have anything else uh, happening afterwards. So I just stayed longer and accommodated the student. But, uh, you know, that that should be the first thing is just make sure that you save your uh, you know, uh, information. And I mean, imagine I've even seen situations where people are working on their, uh, PhD thesis or master thesis and yeah. they lose their thumb drive or their laptop gets stolen or whatever. And I mean, that would be a big problem. And that's where, I mean, we've talked about it in the past about just having uh, backups and redundancies. Yeah. So. Back up your stuff all the time. And, and I, I'm trying to remember, um, what episode title, we did a episode where we discussed backing things up. Uh, it may have even been in number nine, <laughs> capture, configure, control. The most downloaded episode, I may add, uh, where we did have a section on, on data backup and some of the ways that you can do that. I think we've covered it in a couple of episodes, but yeah, uh, I can link back to that. But it's a good, it's a good strategy. Yeah, absolutely. And we did have some, uh, I guess, a little bit of news. I guess uh, our hardware recommendations slash keep an eye out for future updates section. We're diverging a bit here from our episode order conventions because of the lack of information. One of the things we didn't do this year 
uh, is do a dedicated um, back to school recommended tech and equipment episode. Uh, in fact, I'd, I'd point you to our 2021 back to school episode because it's largely unchanged. Yeah, there's not a huge amount. Um, we, there is an article that we can put in. Uh, there's an updated article from the Wirecutter, which is a great aggregator of reviews. Uh, uh, best laptops for college students, which is kind of interesting. And so they pick a variety of uh, Windows computers, Asus, HP Spectre, usually on the more affordable side. And of course, they recommend the MacBook Air, the 2020 version. So we didn't have a huge... Uh, recommendations list for students. Apple did come out with some new hardware, which wanted and in an event which we want to talk about recently. But that wasn't that wasn't laptops. So I guess what I would say to students is, uh, you know, find a relatively new MacBook Air or Windows Ultrabook, and and try to find the best deal on either the current version or even the most recent previous version. Yeah, it was interesting. Like you know, so this was updated October third, but. You know, from the Apple side, they were recommending that 2020 MacBook Air, and you you were even mentioning recently that you purchased one for your wife. And um, you know, mm -hmm. again, it's it's one of those things that if you really look at it spec wise, I mean, cost wise, it probably will take care of most you know student needs, and maybe yeah, even uh, beyond that. You'd be better off with the the M1 MacBook Air as a laptop with 16 gigs of RAM over the M2, the newer version with eight, mm -hmm. uh, in my opinion, just from a multitasking, you want it to last the lifespan of your university career or most of it. Um, in terms of laptops, there's always something to consider. I wanna talk a little bit later about uh, Microsoft because there's some really good devices from Microsoft, but you know, Dell, the XPS 13, uh, a lot of these recommendations are more or less the same. Um, so we're not doing, I guess, this is more of a public service. We're not doing a, a breakdown this year because most of the recommendations are the same model with a minor update is what we would recommend from our previous episode. It is interesting to me though, to watch what people have in the classroom. Overwhelmingly MacBook Airs or Windows Ultrabooks, which is not surprising. A large number of students have a desktop or a laptop at home. And oh, they bring an iPad to class and they use it with a keyboard. I would say, so here's an interesting piece of history, or I think it's interesting. So when I was in graduate school in 2011, 2012, I had an iPad that I had with a Bluetooth keyboard and a case. And I took all my notes in Evernote at the time. And, um, and I used that. And people thought that was insane. Now, this is a long time ago. So there was no multi, there wasn't a lot going on on the iPad. You could use one thing at a time, but I thought it was great. You had really great battery life, the battery life on laptops. You know, you didn't have 15 hours back then. So this had fantastic battery life. It was light. We had our own computer lab when I was in grad school with, you know, all brand new uh, iMacs and Windows computers. So I, I, there was no need for me to bring a laptop because I would just go log into Google Drive. It was a University of Alberta is a Google school. And I would do everything there in the lab, and then I would go home, and I had all my stuff there. Um, so I needed a, I needed something to work on to take to a coffee shop or to take to class. Uh, and then my colleagues and I, who were doing a project together, would always end up in the lab anyways. But I notice a lot 
I would say, you know, between 10 and Apple, mostly iPad, though there's also Windows and Android too. Yeah, I mean, on, on my side, I, I would say there's probably maybe a handful of people uh, that are bringing in the tablets. But I, I, I do think, like, from what I've seen, the ones that are using it, uh, again, from a memory retention standpoint, I mean, using that stylus probably is going to help. Um, I mean, uh, there is a huge number of students that bring in their laptops, but... I don't know if uh, it's like almost like just bringing it for the sake of bringing it. They're not even typing much or taking notes. So yeah, they have it so they can. So that's another option. If you have a really good computer at home, I know a lot of students have told me they bought a desktop. Uh, maybe they game on it and they do homework. Totally understandable, right? Why would you have multiple devices? So I need something inexpensive I can bring to class. And the iPad is, the entry level is more than sufficient. I'm not very expensive. So I think... I'm going to go back on my previous year's words and say, eh, if you have a computer already, that's maybe not new, that's good enough. You know, an iPad, particularly for the class is not, even if you'd have no other Apple devices, that doesn't really matter. Um, most, there's all sorts of apps that are that cross platform. It's a really, really good device. I think you can probably get away with it at this point. Yeah. yeah I sure. use mine all the time. The one that Chris and I both have, I take it to class. I have a keyboard for it. I have a mouse for it. Uh, it works great. I, I I rarely need to use a real computer for day-to-day -day stuff. It's actually remarkable. So I bring it up because I see it all the time in class. It's amazing to me how things have changed. Yeah. It really has. Actually, you know, interesting enough, you mentioned like the mouse. I, uh, first time I've seen uh, this this semester, but uh, there was a student who actually brought a wired mouse for the laptop. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, and I, I asked that student, um, you know, why why did you do that? And, uh, you know, she just mentioned that it's easier for her, for her wrist and just uh, yeah. to go and uh, navigate uh, things as opposed to looking at the trackpad, which, uh, you know, kind of makes sense. And, uh, you know. Uh, I think probably, especially it would be maybe even that much easier if it was a Bluetooth mouse, right? I like plugging in a wired mouse. I should do that. I should bring in my <laughs> vertical ergonomic volume mouse and plug it into the computer and go in there. That's pretty epic. <laughs> um, we did have, so this does go into uh, some hardware stuff that's useful. So maybe we can talk briefly, Chris, about what Apple talked about last month. We didn't cover it because we were focused on promoting the book chapter. We, our last episode, we re-released our interview from 2020 with the Teaching and Learning Online Network. We do re-release content, particularly for the mid-month episodes, because, well, it's still relevant and um, it just sits there and it gets forgotten about. So that's what we're doing. But Apple did have an announcement earlier in September. So it's about a month ago now, but I think it's still yeah. worth talking about, especially that now we can digest it where they, they did introduce laptops or iPads. I think that'll happen this month and we'll yeah. cover that. If they do, we promise we'll, we'll touch on it, but that's relevant for education. Uh, but they did introduce uh, new iPhones, iPhone 14 and 14 pro AirPods and Apple watch. So maybe we start with the watch. Yeah, I mean, this uh, on the watch side, uh, I was telling you earlier, I mean, if I had to go and get the watch and if that was my only device, you know, I probably would go for that Apple Watch Ultra. The sports and, uh, watch, the extreme watch for outdoor enthusiasts. 
Yeah. But I mean, it just, it's like you were saying, Eric, like the, that's what the Apple watch should have been right from the get go. Um, you know, it's a much, much more durable. Um, the battery life is there, right? Yeah. Because it is a bigger watch. Uh, it just looks kind of substantive. I, I like their new kind of, uh, sports kind of related, uh, watch straps that they have, uh, depending on what you're into. So if it's a uh, water sports, or if you're going into like, you know, extreme, uh, winter kind of, uh, hiking or what have you, they have a, a different one for that. So, yeah, I mean, it looks pretty, pretty sweet, but it's, it's all, in, I guess the, yeah. it I guess is the price is pretty sweet too. It's, it's <laughs> expensive. I think it's over a thousand dollars Canadian to start. So it's a luxury item for sure. And probably something from an education perspective, that's probably a little bit of out of, out of reach. I thought, uh, so one of the things I find interesting about the watch and why I think it's interesting to education is that one of my um, criticisms of education for a long time, and not education's fault, but that there's so much sitting, right? You're sitting during homework, you're sitting through class. Um, you know, I probably gained, I think I gained like weight probably the first time I did undergraduate and um it's just tough, right? Especially the first year or two, you're learning a lot. So I like the idea of something that reminds people to stand up, reminds people to take a break and stuff yeah. like that. Um, what I was most surprised about, I said, I've never owned a, one of these devices because it's even for me as an academic, I just find it to be too expensive. I wear it. Uh, I have a bunch of nice watches, but I typically wear a Timex watch every day. Uh, that was $80. So it's not very expensive, but the Apple watch SE, which mm -hmm. is their, I guess SE stands for special edition. I was told. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> and that one starts at 329. So it's still expensive for students. Uh, you know, hundred dollars, $50 is money that students need, but I believe it's the same innards chip as the newest series eight. Uh, it doesn't have an older processor. Um, I think it's more or less the same. So if <laughs> the Apple watch ultra is supposed to be able to withstand like extreme conditions, like mountain climbing, Everest, stuff like this. So like, if you don't yeah. need that, uh, and you just need a fitness device, that's like a health thing, uh, while you're a student or, you know, as an academic, I think, you know, the SE is probably the way to go. I know that there is the regular Apple Watch um, Series Sorry. 8. Series 8 is what they're on now. And I think I think even that still starts at a, over $500, like $529. So you get a smaller screen with the other one. It's probably not as water resistant. Um, but the SE seems more than capable. capable. Yeah. And again, like, I mean, if, if money was no object, like I, I just look at it, the fact that it is bigger, like that ultra, but you know, the, uh, it's also made out of titanium. So it's much more resistant. Like, whereas uh, the regular watches, they're made out of aluminum. If you get the cellular ones, those ones are made out of steel. So are they still, a little bit, Maybe I, they are. I thought they were, I don't know about the, the latest ones, but Typically, that was one of the differences that you would have uh, is that you would have a better case for it. And uh, I guess uh, this Ultra has a sapphire uh, display so that it's much more uh, resistant as well. I mean, I've, I've actually noticed, so I have the Series 5 
And uh, recently I've just noticed that there's a couple of scratches on my uh, screen. I mean, they're like superficial, but I don't know. I like to have my stuff pretty pristine. So it's kind of bugging me. I, mean, I might have to go and get a new one just because of that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's a pretty interesting stuff. They do. Apple did announce new phones. Uh, I think a phone is like a, an appendage at this point. So it's probably useful. So if you're on the upgrade cycle for a phone, academic or student, uh, I mean, it's just something that everybody has to have. It's like their wallet. It's their public transit pass now, amazingly, at least it is in the city of Calgary. I'm sure it is in other places. So Apple introduced the 14 and 14 plus and then the 14 Pro and Pro yeah. Max. These are terrible naming conventions. And I, I think the 14 is a total skip from what I can tell. It is absolutely very minor upgrade from the previous generation. It doesn't even change the innards whatsoever. It's only the Pro model um, that really yeah. made any design differences, chip, better camera. But again, for our audience, it's probably overkill and too expensive. And I would wait for those features to come into the next entry level. And I think the the big difference, actually, it was funny. I had a student uh, just yesterday ask, uh, so I have the 13 Pro, and they're like, oh, did you get the 14? And I'm like, no, I haven't yet. Uh, and in fact, actually, one student didn't even realize that Apple's come out with a new version. And uh, I think that the particular student had a iPhone 10. But, um, you know, it's uh, it's funny because uh, even the students, uh, when we're looking at it, I don't think they can tell much for a difference. I think the only major kind of design change is that uh, uh, just at the top, that notch. Well, it's not a notch. It's the dynamic island. Yeah, yeah exactly. So does that mean I was listening to a podcast so that for the folks that are interesting, Apple has that notch, the cutout. And so they got rid of the cutout and it's more like a hole punch. That's a kind of design, but it they've leaned into it. So it expands and contracts or the, the black bezel around it shows notifications. So to make it look less like a hole punch, they've kind of leaned into it as a design element. They call it the dynamic island. But though I was listening to another podcast and they said, well, what do we call the old one? The notch? Because, you know, the notch never had a cool name. So <laughs> some, I think it was Jason Snell. He's a long time. He used to be the editor in chief of Macworld when it was in print. He said it should be called the static peninsula. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it, you know, it, there's the minor design changes. Again, I think uh, Apple hasn't really come out with the, the education East stuff uh, at this point, they're sticking. This is more like their consumer phones and watches. I guess they have the AirPods, which they updated the pro versions at least, but there's nothing here that's iPad or Mac that would impact, you know, people's computer purchases. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, the only thing like as our buddy Scott Galloway kind of says, it's uh, basically you're signifying to the opposite sex that, uh, you know, you have something of value. It's almost akin to like a Rolex or something. And uh, I don't yeah, know, or at least that's that's what some some people think. Uh, I don't know how much the opposite sex actually looks at these devices <laughs> and notices, but uh, I guess it is a signifier of luxury and uh, prestige. Well, it's certainly become a signifier of, of wealth and prestige, uh, which is interesting to me because I remember cell phones, particularly smartphones, when they first came out, I don't know if uh, people my ilk will remember this, was kind of laughed at as like, why would you need that? 
you know, even when cell phones came out, there was kind of like, why would you need to be in contact all the time? Just go home and use the phone. Um, and it, so they started out as these really geeky things. Laptops are the same thing. Tablets. I remember tablets when they ran Windows XP. I mean, so this was nerd stuff, basically. And now it's become mainstream technology. And having the latest and greatest high-end high electronics or computing has really become um, somewhat of a status symbol. I think uh, those who are willing able to look through that can largely ignore it by the previous generation at this point. Is it really going to make a difference, right? I use a 2017 iPhone. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to text people and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, but it's interesting. But not to be left out. We talk about Apple, but I want to, I do try to make sure that we cover the Windows side. So there is some interesting news or rumors coming out. Um, so this, this month, so October 12th, I believe it's 10 a.m. Eastern time, uh, Microsoft, which makes hardware, is going to have an event. And it's, it's expected that it's going to be one of their Surface events. Microsoft makes a line of computers called Surface uh, so they have a Surface laptop, which is a touchscreen laptop. They have the Surface Pro, which is the tablet with the kickstand and the detachable keyboard. They have the Surface Studio, which is a touchscreen um, desktop that works as like a drawing easel. And then they have another thing, um, the Surface something uh, that's like a drawing easel laptop. And so there's some rumors floating around. Um, about uh, new Microsoft hardware. And we'll put a link from Windows Central, which did a good job covering it because uh, this is just a few days old, this article. But this is useful to folks who prefer to work in the Windows ecosystem, um, particularly Windows 11, which we'll talk about. There are some recent updates to Windows that are useful for productivity. Um, and so it looks like there's going to be new devices coming down the pike. So a new Surface Laptop 5, I think the current generation, well, the current generation must be 4, a new Surface Pro 9, um, Surface Studio 3, that hasn't been updated for some time. Yeah, so that's kind of what we're expecting to be updated. For educators and students, when I do see a lot of Surface laptops, so that's a regular clamshell laptop. Yeah. Um, and I also see a lot of Surface Pros. Surface Pro being with the kickstand and stuff. So I think um, it's likely that we'll see some pretty significant upgrades to the processors, particularly the, there's the next generation of Intel processors. And, you know, Intel being the big chip maker has done some really great work and has in many respects really caught up to what Apple has done. Uh, you know, in, <laughs> Intel was supposed to be down and out a few years ago, and now they're risk guns blazing. Uh, so they have some really great hardware, much better battery life, uh, really comparable performance to what Apple's putting out. I think, you know, Apple stuff is great. I use a Mac, but I really find the Windows ecosystem and all the updates that Microsoft has done. I mean, I have to hand it to them that they were laughed at about 10 years ago when they entered the hardware space and they're coming out with some really cool stuff now. And so this is a really great option for people who are like, I don't really use a Mac. I don't want to learn that. There's some great Windows devices for Microsoft that are probably going to come down the pike. I mean, I don't have reviews. These are rumors of what's to be announced. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, there's also the rumor that uh, this month we're going to see new laptops and iPads uh, 
from uh, Apple as well. So, yeah. I mean, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised because if, if you look at it, uh, uh, especially this year, like the last couple of years, they've been giving the free AirPods. And so this year they gave a $200 or up to 200 and something dollar uh, kind of gift certificate, depending on what you buy. And, um, you know, so obviously they want to go and clear out their old stock. Uh, I think one of the big surprises too, that people with the Apple event was that uh, the prices didn't increase for the iPhones. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And so, um, and uh, going back, if you look at it, uh, one of the things that they've done these, uh, I think probably from a business standpoint, I mean, they, they have the margin, so they, they can go and keep the price still pretty consistent. Plus what they've done is they've diversified their manufacturing. So now about half of it is being done in China and then the other half is being produced in India. So then they won't have those kind of supply chain issues. Um, on an interesting note, actually, a student was telling me last night, um, there was uh, apparently the premium space in retail now. It used to be eye level, right? And so now apparently it is an eye level. And uh, the reason for that is everybody is going walking around with their smartphones and so they're kind of crouched down and so i guess it's the stuff that's below high level is now the the premium kind of retail slots that if you want to go and push your products so what you're telling me is that when i print off follow edtech examined cards with a link to our website i should put it over top of the price tags at like the, the, kind of the lower 30 <laughs> percent. yeah exactly i got it i'll do that <laughs> I've been putting it all. I've been putting it in all the wrong places. I was thinking eye level, right? Uh, there you go. <laughs> so there, there's a few hardware announcements coming. Um, we'll cover that. Maybe we'll. Maybe what we'll do once there's more announcements from the Windows and Mac side, we can do a bit of a comparison in terms of value. One of the things that's really confusing for people is that, especially on the Windows side, it gets worse. But on the Mac side too, there are so many configurations for these machines. That I think maybe what maybe what we'll do, Chris, is after this month is through, we'll take a look at what Microsoft has to offer, what Mac has to, what Apple has to offer, and we'll come up with a recommended configuration best value for their newest stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, how much RAM? How much storage do you need? What's the best price? Do you go with the older model? Do you look at refurbished? And do the same thing for Windows because I think that might be helpful. So if you are in the market for a device, don't purchase it today. Hold off. Uh, if you just bought it, return it and wait. I'm not even joking. That's what I would do. Return it and wait and see what comes up because there should be some some good stuff now that the back to school sales have passed. Um, well, unless unless you absolutely need it. <laughs> so. If you you can, if you absolutely need it, that's fair. But if you can absolutely need it and wait two weeks and use the computers at your university. Uh, yeah, that would be well. That would be well advised. It's funny that the library at Mount Royal, we have a great computer lab, but sometimes it's very empty, and I'm quite surprised because we have you know really nice Windows 11 desktops running through there. But uh, that's actually probably a good segue. We do have there is a couple of uh, relevant education updates to Windows. I don't think we typically do Windows updates. Nobody talks about Windows updates. It's so banal, <laughs> so boring. But there was there was a couple things that are happening. So uh, a lot of computers that are newer are going to start getting the option to be updated to Windows 11. So if you have Windows 10, I have Windows 10 at work. Windows 10 is fine. You know, you don't need to worry about it right now. But 
newer processors within the last few years, there's some hardware requirements, are going to be given the option to upgrade to Windows 11. Um, I like Windows 11. I think it's fine. It's a, a worthy update to Windows 10. It seems to work. It's equally performant. But if you are on Windows 11, there's a few tools that are that might be useful to you, particularly in the productivity space. Um, so one of the things that Windows is known for is, uh, well, Windows, windowing applications. That's where it came from. Um, I've always found it way easier out of the box to put windows side by side, to put four windows. In fact, I was talking to a student today, I went over to his, his laptop and there was a window in each quadrant of his laptop screen. Like he had, and minimized it. And it, yeah, he had this like command center display. I was super impressed, um, but it's way easier to snap windows to particular sections and quadrants of the screen, which I have always appreciated with, with Apple. I do that, but I have to have a third party tool. Um, and so they're going to make that easier in Windows. Now, when you go to drag a window to say half of the screen, a little pane is going to pop up and it's going to show you kind of where uh, you can snap the window to. So it's a little, you don't have to do it through discovery. It kind of guides you along the process. I think that's actually really valuable because a lot of the, that window snapping and stuff is kind of hidden uh, at this point. There's also going to be a couple of ways to uh, minimize distractions, which I think is good. So there, uh, Windows is actually ahead of the game when it came to do not disturb over the Apple stuff. Apple calls the stuff on their platform focus mode, where you can kind of determine what apps can send you notifications and when during what times or if you're at a particular location. So as an example, I have it set up to my my all the Apple devices I have go into focus mode when I go into the geographic location that is my work. There's like a geofence set up. Mm -hmm. um, Windows, you can do similar types of focus mode. Uh, they're calling it focus mode now. Um, and a do not disturb mode that you can minimize distractions. So I, this is an article from CDNet or CNET. So according to Microsoft, when you start a new focus session, Windows automatically turns on do not disturb. So that's a plus, you won't get bugged with notifications. Uh, this silences notifications, turns off taskbar badges, so like the little notification numbers above the icon, and app notifications that uh, are in the taskbar. Mm -hmm. Focus also improves the clock app uh, with timers to help you focus and remember to take breaks. So you can, I think you can even use it like a Pomodoro where it will go off every so often to take a break. And that'll be built mm -hmm. into Windows now, which is a super cool feature. Um, there's also some accessibility features being uh, brought to Windows. So Narrator, so that's Windows 11's built-in screen reader, uh, is getting a, I've actually heard some mix from some samples, it's getting an, a natural sounding voice rather than like the robot text-to-speech voice that we're used to. Um, okay. And it's, it's, it's a huge improvement. So if you use a screen reader for low vision or just in general, I've used screen readers and, and some of the uh, voiceover navigation in general, I find it helpful um, if you're doing that. Um, then uh, it'll sound better. Uh, and there's also a system-wide live captions, which is pretty cool. So uh, we'll go beyond mm -hmm. individual apps as live caption features. So system-wide live captions will display at the top of the screen and under the camera by default. But then of course you can switch up where those captions take place. So you could have a screen reader, it'll show, it'll be captioned of what it's saying. Um, 
you can capture microphone audio live captions uh, for transcribing in-person conversations. So there's a bunch of these voice access features uh, in addition to productivity stuff that's coming to Windows, which is pretty exciting. I think that's very helpful. I'm always on the lookout for accessibility. Yeah, it's actually interesting. I read something recently that uh, the younger generation these days, when they're watching, let's say Netflix or what have you, they they actually turn on the closed captioning. And one of the reasons why they do that is so that they don't miss out on anything. Yeah, I mean, it. I use... Um, I was, well, I mean, I, I'm used to watching movies with my my dad, who's older, so he can't hear as well. So he he puts on the captions for that reason. But um, even movies that are in English, where they have a heavier accent, uh, I was watching a movie. It was an Indian movie that they were speaking English, but it was a heavier accent. So there was things that I was missing. Even British movies, uh, British, I can understand the accent, but they say stuff. They have uh, slang. I have no idea what it means. And I have to be like, is that what they really said? So then it it shows it on captions. Yeah. And I can see how it's spelled. Right. Yeah. And and so it is helpful. Um, and captions look better now. I mean, you can often adjust the size where they are. Uh, it used to be just awful big green captions. That's not the case anymore. So it, I think those accessibility features are helpful to everybody uh, yeah. at, at a certain level. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's, I think, pretty much all we had to talk about. Is there anything that you wanted to to bring up on our 50th episode? Uh, I don't know if there's anything else. We've covered it. Um, and look, again, looking forward to continuing uh, working on this and we'll see where how far we go. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just as a reminder to folks who are listening, so uh, you can find out more about this podcast. You can you can follow us at edtechexamine.com. That's that's the website. We have links to all of the platforms that our fine podcast is available. Um, you can go right to the hosting platform, which is edtechexamine.castos.com. Um, and from there, you can link to our information. Um, you can also uh, help us out by subscribing to our Patreon at patreon.com slash edtechexamined. Um, Chris, did you want to tell folks how they can contact you? Yeah, so you can find me. My uh, website is uh, chris with a K, so K-R-I-S-H-A-N-S dot C-A. And uh, you'll find my social media handles there as well. Yeah, and I'm very similar, so um, you can find everything about me, social media, uh, links, etc. at ericchristiansen.net. That's E-R-I-K-C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-S-E-N dot net. And everything else links to there, my tech blog, social uh, links to this podcast episodes, etc. All right, awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Chris. Take care. Yeah, you too.